0: To me, his thinking is clearly indicated in the categories of these awards. They are offered for increased and continuing knowledge of the man and of his world, for understanding and communication, which are the functions of literature, and they are offered for demonstrations of the capacity for peace, the culmination of all the others. Less than 50 years after his death, nature was unlocked, the door of nature was unlocked, and we were offered the dreadful burden of choice. We have usurped many of the powers we once to ascribe to God. Fearful and unprepared, we have assumed leadership over the life or death of the whole world, of all living things. The danger and the glory and the choice rest finally in man. The test of his perfectibility is at hand. Having taken God-like power, we must seek in ourselves for the responsibility and the wisdom we once prayed some deity might have. Man himself has become our greatest hazard and our only hope. So that today, St. John the Apostle may well be paraphrased, in the end of the Word, and the Word is man, and the Word is with men.
1: From the 5 to the 6, we be in the mix With that Rare Candy paint job on a whip Money for the kids, money for the rent. Fuck a lockdown, baby, I can't do that shit. And I'll never vote, cause I'm fucking broke. And either way, I know the police ain't gon' leave me alone. On a plane by the visit, rock me. Crypto told me I should bring the Glock with me, so I packed up my piece and I'm sliding. Cause we might get caught up in a riot. Middle finger Trump, middle finger Biden. Fuck a left, fuck a right, is you riding. we you love to see it, dudes rocking. Ain't no politics, baby, we just talking. From the birds to the bricks, we we be in the mix with the rare candy paint job on the web. Who you with? Hey,
2: welcome to Gain of Fiction. And some of you guys might be wondering, hey, I'm uh, what the heck? I'm subscribed to a special thing to get the Gain of Fiction stuff. Why is this on the free feed? I uh, want to give people a little peek behind the curtain by paying tribute to the great John Steinbeck uh today on on this one but for anybody who doesn't know we do on our substack offer um on our premium episode feed it's up over 35 episodes now and about 10 uh, eight or nine of them i should say are uh covering works of fiction and things like that called call the series gain of fiction but this one is free to you guys free to all you guys check it out um if you want more again go to rarecandy.substack.com to check that stuff out but before we get into gain of fiction um the guest really needs no intro he's uh Definitely on the Mount Rushmore. Uh, easily, as soon as we record an episode with them, the next like two weeks later, they'll be like, "Hey, when's he coming back on?" Because it's Ben Braddock. What's up, dude?
0: Oh,
3: good to be on. What's up? Uh, yeah. and, you know, yeah. the, the person who's always asking when he can, when can he be back on? That's just me on an alt. <laughs> on your alt, <laughs> I on just, your alt
0: account. I yeah, have so much fun to talking to you guys.
3: But the only way I can get like an hour into your schedule to just have a chat is to book myself on your podcast. So,
1: anytime, literally, Well, it just makes me
2: think the only people that listen to us is just Ben and his seven al- alts, so that's fine. Um, that's that's fine. Uh, and um, but but anywho, um, the, the, not the, you you came on rather, uh, I should say maybe just like a month or two ago, so not much has changed. However, there's one big thing happening in the world, and I, I, am not a super big electoral politics guy, but uh, when a candidate comes out of the woodwork and runs on something that, and we'll, we'll get to the bottom of it, but, but, but takes a lot of my, my core principles and says, Hey, I'm trying to push these onto whoever's listening. Um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is running for president and he's making a lot of noise. So Ben, you are, I mean, you know typically uh, when people refer to you and I'm gonna give you a chance to 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 say all this a lot of people see you as as a as a conservative, you know what I mean, but you have you're kind of aboard the r f k train are you not
3: uh it, well, it's funny you uh you put it that way uh I actually talked to r f k uh last Friday on a train going through the central valley. <laughs> Wow. wow. so we, We've got major overlap here. We're, uh-huh. yeah, we're aboard the train, going through the Central Valley, seeing what he's talking about in terms of, like, the agricultural problems and our poison food supply and all this. It's like there's this uh, – we went by this uh, huge cattle feedlot north of Bakersfield. Yeah. The train is just rolling, but this feedlot just isn't ending. And there's this you know, just huge – uh pools of stagnant filth out there and you could smell it inside the train and i've got <clears throat> rfk on the phone i'm trying i'm doing an interview with them uh for uh for im 1776 uh it'll be coming out probably this week nice but uh sorry i had to throw that plug in there no please please but- <laughs> You know, I've got him on the phone talking about the you know how we need uh, regenerative agriculture and we need to clean up the food supply and like you know the reason that Americans are sicker than in any other advanced country and by quite a lot is just because we're being you know we're sitting in this toxic soup and uh, and we're being poisoned. So yeah, I mean, you know, I. I am a conservative in a in a Chestertonian sense in that I think that uh before you you know tear down a fence you should think about why it was put up in the first place right you shouldn't mm. just um you know reject tradition for the sake of uh rejecting tradition you know and I think there's uh there's an accumulation of culture of uh wisdom of a lot of things that is passed down to us through tradition so you know in that sense uh i guess you would say i you know i have a very traditionalist conservative streak uh know, i've always just tried to approach things in a kind of independent realist way though right Um, i I don't know that my politics have ever like fully mapped onto some political spectrum i mean i I took one of those uh libertarian like political quadrant you know like which (laughs) political or yeah. you kind of things and it looked like um one of those uh one of those illustrations of like when they gave spiders acid and try to get them to construct okay. a web you know yeah
1: yeah. early facebook video yeah i remember that That makes me trust you yeah honestly that's yeah not that i never didn't before next episode we'll try that we'll do it in person yeah (laughs) and i
3: I really go between states you know one week i might be feeling like you know really libertarian like yeah we should just kind of you know live and let live and the government just shouldn't get involved in things and then the next week i'm like we should use the power of the state to uh to like ban ugly car headlights, like the, yeah. the bright blue ones that I find. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I really have, uh, uh, no, uh, no real commitment to, to being consistent about uh, a lot of these things. There's, you know, there's some of the basics that I'm, uh, that I'm pretty much always the same one, but, uh, anyway, uh, but you know, when it comes to this, this election, I mean, I'll be honest to you, up until this point, it was kind of a snooze fest. Like I I found it totally engage, you know, does not feel like the 2016 energy in terms of having like a, uh, interesting, crazy, chaotic primary with a lot of fun sound bites or any of that. It's just, uh, you know, it's like a proxy war between the Trump and DeSantis camps and, you know, in, in both instances, it's just like a lot of, uh, frankly like nerdy policy disputes and, and this sort of thing, but without really uh, I feel like there just hasn't been that much uh, interesting discourse or policy discussions or you know, after all we've been through it just feels like this should be an election where you know we as a country kind of uh, talk about the challenges that we're facing. Right. Because, I mean, you know, we've got some we've got some serious uh, long term threats looming on the horizon. Right. Mm-hmm. Everything from um, uh, the dollar losing its status as the world's reserve you know, currency and like trade being denominated in the dollar is really what what is what our economy sits on, uh, along with having the unquestioned military supremacy to make sure that all the countries keep the dollar in its favorite status. And, you know, if if we lose that, it's like we have to rebuild our economy from scratch. Like we instantly go to being Russia in the 90s. I I don't think people like realize just how fake our economy is and how much it's built on this like Bretton Woods system. Right. Uh, No one is talking about this. The only monetary policy discussion you'll get is like some mention of interest rates. And it's usually that the interest rates are too high and we should bring them down to make it easier to buy a house, even though that drives inflation up. And inflation is a big part of why countries around the world are abandoning the dollar because they no longer see it as being a safe and secure currency to base their currencies onto. Mm. We've always had to have a a stable dollar, uh, relatively stable, like we get away with, uh, you know, under 5% inflation. And in doing that, we can actually get a lot of the rest of the world to subsidize us uh, because we like get to offload some of our inflation and money printing onto all these other countries, reserve banks that are buying it. But like when our inflation hits double digits, like it has in the uh, past few years, then Brazil, which already has like a, a, you know, upper single digit to low, Double digit inflation rate. Normally, they get that inflation on top, of, so their inflation goes to like mm, thirty percent, and so many people are living on the edge of poverty there. At something like thirty, like our monetary policy decision, like us allowing inflation to happen, could effectively collapse one of the largest economies in our hemisphere. That you know is a that feeds a government that's responsible for keeping like two hundred and eighty million people in line, right? so like we're we're creating the conditions for more venezuela type situations where we get these countries just go into total collapse in our own hemisphere and then their people leave in mass and you know show up at our border and most of them get across and you know we're then dealing with like this huge uh humanitarian and social crisis here in our own country like it, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me that you know we have these big things that are going on, and you just don't hear about it in the political discourse until RFK comes into the race and is talking about how inflation, you know, is, is a tax on the middle class and on the working class. How it's like hollowing out our economy, along with the uh, the war economy, like all this funding being sent to Ukraine, while at the same time we're kicking people off of you know Medicaid and uh, you know food stamps and whatever else, right? So you know he's he's actually getting into into the weeds and, and in that sense he really reminds me a lot of a Ron Paul. Yeah, totally. yeah. While Ron Paul didn't get the nomination, I think his run was still a success because if you looked at the Republican Party before Ron Paul and you look at the Republican Party since Ron Paul, it has moved in a much more um, Ron Paul type uh, libertarian a, way. Yeah. At least, at least among, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, state politicians and, and this sort of thing. So he, he did have, I think, a, a very positive impact on the right uh, with his run and, you know, it was an opportunity really his campaign was huge opportunity to bring a lot of these ideas to a much wider audience. And I think in a, in a, you know, if RFK doesn't win a single state um, I think his, his campaign still has a lot of potential to do good uh, just because it's, it's bringing awareness to so many important issues uh, that are facing the country. And, And it is interesting to listen to, you know, Every other politician in the race, and, you know, I say this as someone who, uh, you know, has been a Trump guy, is a Trump guy, likes Trump, but Trump, DeSantis, Biden, all hearing them speak long form, uh, I feel like they're talking to me like I'm a retard, yeah. and while Robert F. Kennedy Jr., when he speaks, he's talking to me like I'm an autistic person. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: That's, and that that latter part that appeals to me, it, you know, like I get it. It's electoral politics, right? Like you know,
2: well, he knows how autism is If Trump
3: was giving a speech just yeah. to like guys like me, then you know he wouldn't have been president, right? Mm-hmm. He 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 was a master of of getting the message down to kind of a, a lowest common denominator, and that's one of the your big incentives in yeah uh, in any democracy. But I think that I think that. RFK is actually too much of an autist himself to be able to dumb things down to a, a cheap political level. Yeah. Like he'll, uh, you know, he'll just kind of spurge out and, uh, <laughs> yeah, just go off off message. Like, you know, some things he was saying in this interview I did with him, I was like, I was thinking, I was like, dude, do you really want me to print this? Cause
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> this is not like, uh, This is not something I've expected to hear from a presidential candidate that you want to quote round up the uh, medical journal editors and publishers Hmm. and put them into federal prison on racketeering charges. Like he's saying, he's going to weaponize the department of justice to go after, you know, these people put universities on a blacklist if they're (laughs) involved in like gain of function and vaccine research, Huh? Um, get rid of, you know, vac- funding for vaccine research because it's all just to cover for bioweapons. I'm and, my
1: chin right now. Yes. Yeah. And, huh. uh, he's like,
3: he's like, let's stop throwing money at developing new pharmaceuticals and let's use, you know, if we're going to spend money on research, let's research why chronic diseases are yeah. like wrong. Yeah. And
2: ob and, yeah. and he went off on a fauna he said, like, too, a huge disease is childhood obesity. Like, he's just like, our kids are fat. Yeah. You know, he was saying stuff like that. And he also, you know, I, it's, you're right. It's one of those things. It's not. Whenever I feel like we're in this really dumbed down age of everything. Like, people used to have way. Better political discussions because politics Weren't for everybody so when You had a political discussion it was already There was already like a like a prerequisite Of like knowing what the fuck you're talking about Even if you're wrong or right or whatever It was kind of being informed but now Everybody has a political opinion to where If I say wow that's pretty sick that Robert F. Kennedy's running for president they're like do you think he's Going to win huh idiot I'm like yeah. No no I, I want pure chaos I'm like Ben I'm sick of what's Happening right now I'm sick of it Trump Versus Biden obviously I'm hammering Trump hammering the Trump yeah. button with Trump versus Biden, of course. However, both of them, it's, it, it, it really, really benefits both of candidates to completely forget about COVID. Yeah. yeah completely forget yeah. about yeah. it. Yeah. Trump as well. Especially, honestly, I mean, look, especially Trump.
3: And look, like, I think, I think this, uh, you know, this is also an opportunity. It's like, you know, RFK is not negatively going after anybody. He, he's not, you know, he, he went out of his way to say that, look, uh, You know, Trump was accused of a lot of things that he didn't actually do. And he's talked about how, you know, the bureaucracy stood against him and all of these different things. And he said, you know, the difference is, is I know who the people are in these agencies. Like I have names and addresses. I have a hit list ready to go if I'm president. That's the difference between me and Trump. Like he doesn't, he's, you know, his argument is like, I know the inner workings of the federal government better than Trump does because I've spent 30 years suing these people. So I'm just going to be more effective. But that's not a that's not a unfair knock on Trump or anybody. You know, that's just like a, you know, he, he's being uh, you know, he's being pretty nice about it. And he said the same thing. You know Biden is an old family friend. And I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to say that he's mentally incapacitated. Uh, you watch a speech and tell me what what you think. That was <laughs> basically his thoughts. Right. So he's, you know, he's bringing a very positive message. But but I think it's an opportunity too uh for for guys like us to kind of negotiate with the other candidates it's like Mm -hmm. look you want if you want the rfk supporters in the general election like we're going to need some things put on the table and i think you know for for a lot of people um you know around our sphere who are upset about this whole rfk thing is you know like that he's He's an entryist and he's a you know double agent and all, you know, all these other things. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think part of it is um they you know they thought that they could just kind of string uh you know the crunchy, holistic uh crystal people along you yeah. know along <laughs> the line without giving them anything. And it's like yeah. all right, now we now we have a negotiation chip. uh you know, we, we will come over and support you in the general election, but we're gonna need like yeah executives of uh monsanto to be rounded up and sent to
1: guantanamo yeah. right. also can i can i just interject please with, can, please, please yeah sorry fu- like this marianne williamson fuck this marianne williamson thing i gotta say i respect her as an author and as a human being a lot like i think she's cool crunchy crystal chick it's just not happened dude she's uh, she's already lost to rfk dude you know what i mean with this he's mm. dropping bars man he's dropping oh yeah, she attacked and, him what oh she did yeah doesn't surprise me she attacked it's, him like, for defending not- tiger look oh my she got
3: he got yeah. completely long housed in the last yeah. primary she went on anderson cooper's show and he confronted her for saying that depression is fake and no one needs to take antidepressants which was you know like it's it was those kind of marianne williamson uh statements that she had made like that part of her past that made her appealing to so yep. many people oh and, yeah and yeah. she you know she's completely uh recanted all of that stuff like she's she's bent the knee yeah and she's like now you know i would never suggest that there's anything wrong with vaccines
1: and it's because cra- i'm a vaccine. fan of her written work i knew her way before she was even a politician so it hurts me more to see that shit i'm just like what oh are yeah you, this, doing? you know it's, she, it's like why do you need this why do you need she, this in your life you're a successful author and you're like 70 you know it's great yeah i mean I,
3: I think her you know she had a uh i think a very positive influence she you know she's just uh she, it was a great persona yeah in you know, her her whole deal and it is really sad that she has, has basically murdered the Marianne Williamson that people <laughs> knew and loved yeah just to become like Bernie in a pantsuit
2: <laughs> yeah no it's it's facts and I think I think with um with with RFK like I said like there's there's a lot of people who feel as though I, I think more and more people you know dissidents are are seeing that the Cornerstone of the 2024 presidential campaign between Democrats and Republicans, it's going to be over like drag queen story hour. That's like what the what <laughs> right. you know, and and some people that's a battle. I'm not saying I I don't think that's completely just chalked up to nothing and completely fake. There's obviously something there, but there is like there. What is the thing that turned the country over just completely politically? Medically, I mean everything aspect. It was, it was COVID, right? Yeah, and right. and RFK's been fighting the medical establishment for a lot longer than that. And and I just and look, right now you just saw Michael Sanger tweeted it. I saw Ben saw it too. It was the same thing. Federal was it federal government contractors? now don't have yeah, to. Contra-
3: basically oh they got rid God. of all of the last vaccine requirements including wow. for foreign travelers to come to the united states
2: and why because fucking rfk making noise yeah. about it they, yeah. people are ready to completely there's so many people on both sides too that just want to move on because they're scared of getting they're scared of electoral consequences but to people like us I'll railroad your whole shit if I if I don't have that. Like I don't yeah. care. Like I will straight up don't care if 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 none of that stuff is is even if, if I'm just like the retard you keep chained in the attic scared of of your <laughs> yeah. of, of sabotaging your political yeah. party, you know what I mean? Keep me up there then cuz I I just at this point like dude, I, that's what I care about. I'm almost, I'm almost yeah. a single issue voter. Almost rfk did something no, i'm right i'm important. right there with
3: you and what i'd say too you know you mentioned like drag queen story hour and, and some of this other stuff i think all of that is downstream of the biological problem
2: a hundred percent
3: yeah i think when you have uh endocrine disruptors in the water supply and in the food supply and in household cosmetics and all of these things uh-huh. they completely screw up your you know your signaling for testosterone and estrogen like is it any shock that you're going to then have you know, like the emergence of non-binaries and, you know, people who feel like yeah. they're born into the wrong body and all that. It, I think a lot of it is like their anders androgen receptors. And, you know, all of that sex hormone stuff is just completely screwed up. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's <laughs> downstream of these environmental and biological issues. So that's the other thing about RFK is like, Look, the guy is a lifelong Democrat. There's a lot of issues that I'm not going to align with him on. I'm sure of that. Absolutely. But the he's, his campaign is focused on like the most major threats to America, and I think you know even a bigger threat. You know, people say immigration is the top issue. I agree that it's very important. You know, in terms of like preserving the uh, the American stock, right? but it's like that kind of pales in comparison to if we have mutated ourselves like our bodies as yeah. americans to the point where we no longer like exist in any you know with any historical continuity like if we're if all americans just become completely deformed and you know wretched like what use is there even preserving like an american people you know, in terms yeah. of demographic composition. So right. I think, uh, I think that the, the health of the nation has to be put absolutely front and center because you know, we're poisoning ourselves, not just with the toxins in our environment, but with pharmaceuticals take three times as much pharmaceuticals as, you know, the average in Western Europe and we're much, much sicker and you know, this, we've got SSRIs in the water supply. We've got uh, estrogen in the water supply from the hormonal birth control, you know, all of this kind of stuff. This, not just that, you know, people directly taking the pharmaceuticals are affected, but it also just affects everyone else because that stuff ends up in the environment too.
2: Yeah. I think you're right. Sai, you were going to say something. Um, I was just,
1: well, so RFK did something, I, I think, it's far under discussed and underrated that he wrote the Fauci book and it was number one New York Times and Amazon bestseller for months in the biggest era of censorship we've ever seen, which is insane. Like during the COVID era, when you you wouldn't hear a peep out of this from even alternative media a lot of times. And he wrote, he somehow got all the research down and wrote a book on it. And it was number one for, for months and months and months, like basically a whole year. Which is insane to me. Yeah,
3: it was the top-selling book of the year. I think over three million copies just in 2020.
1: Yeah.
2: So what does that tell you about political demand then? Yeah, and 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 the people you have to appease, you know, like
3: talk about like someone who will really just say anything he believes, and uh, you know, is not trying to like moderate his image or you know afraid of being painted as an extremist. Like a third of that book on Fauci was on AIDS. Yeah, (laughs) and he gets. He gets into the Duisberg hypothesis. He, like it, it's oh, it's wild, mm-hmm. like how much of a departure from the the narrative on uh, the AIDS epidemic that you know he is. Like it, it's and the it's wild because uh, too because you would think that the media would have latched onto that and you know been running articles about him being like an AIDS denier or whatever yeah. else. They totally ignored that. Because I think that's like one can of worms that they just don't want
2: anyone don't look
1: to do under that. that. Don't no, under it, that. it's yeah. too
2: coherent. You need to find a babbling idiot to 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 right. to attach all that stuff to. Now there there's a couple things that I want to get to before we move on. Um the, the the a lot of people from our side, our sphere, whatever you want to call it, they're like, Oh, he's a climate libtard you know what i mean and there's uh-huh. a clip going around of him i his hair is not quite as gray so i'm guessing about 10 15 years ago he was saying this where he was like i want climate deniers jailed right they they cut the clip off right there if you if you play the whole entire clip you realize he's talking about the Koch brothers he's talking about people like that he's talking about people who actually like 3m people who actually destroy our our terrain of our planet which I'm sorry like that's why I'm never going to be a full-on libertarian I am a live and let live guy however if I'm not allowed to live and let live which means actually consume my environment around me uh, ethically and responsibly without Having to uh, have all these crazy filtration devices and things like that, then I am not living and let live. So it's kind of this whole thing. It's like it is like a Ron Paul kind of thing. Like it, it I don't know. I that that's that's something that's that's kind of you know he gets called as a meme candidate. Even, or that's, it, it's true that what he's saying is true. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. So, libert, you know, libertarianism as it gets expressed by like libertarian party members is a lot different from the more academic type. Yeah. Because yeah. if you if you read into the literature of the libertarian thinkers when it comes to environment and uh, pollution and this sort of thing, they say like, this is a property rights problem and we need to create legal frameworks. So when you, if you impose externalities on someone else, you have to pay the the full cost of that. And that's something that that's the libertarian position. And if we had that, like just what they, you know, just what those guys wanted, like if we had that kind of legal system, We wouldn't have nearly as much pollution as we have now so in in a a weird way it's like it's worse than or it's it's more uh you're more free to pollute right now than you are under like the libertarian framework
2: yeah yeah and also you know one more thing about this is is the idea this it's a big brain idea and I, I kind of understand it. I've some, some smart people that I like, I I, I don't think, I don't think they're necessarily wrong on this. However, I'm, I'm, I'm more associated as a missed opportunity from the people um from the right. But the, the idea is I, I think a uh, friend of the show, my fitness feelings brought this claim up, which I, which I tend to, i I, I think he's right. But he said, basically paraphrasing that you, you know, RFK is cool, but it's since he's running as a Democrat, Democrat, it might look like one sheepdogging people like the covid truther people back to the Democrat Party, because a lot of people are former leftists. I mean, it's it's fine, but like uh, sheepdogging people back and being seen like and and it's able to rewrite history maybe 10, 15 years from now to say that, like, actually, like the Democrats we're fine. We're like we're against like digital ID. I don't know if it goes that far because I think first off, what Democrat side is actually boosting RFK's presidential run right now? None. Not they pretend he doesn't want exist. To be associated with him in any they way. Per, yeah. They pretend he does. And also, if it's sheepdogging people back to the Democrat Party, that's a missed opportunity by the right wing. Then.
3: Yeah. For not for yeah. not going that that means exactly. that you
2: fucked up. If you decided that that oh yeah. nope we don't want that as part of our thing then that's fine. Boomer pharmaceutical commercials on a Tucker Carlson less Fox News. If that's your demographic, go ahead.
3: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not locked in in there with you. You're locked in here with us. Yeah. And you know, talking about like supporting uh RFK is not going to then make you turn around and become like a Biden general election voter. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, I don't think Uh, so either. Yeah. Like the only way that you're going to sheepdog people back to the Democratic Party is for the Democratic Party to change and embrace, you know, a lot of these positions. And if that happened, then who cares what your party idea is? Like if the Democratic Party, like, became this uh, 1920s version of itself, then cool, I'm a Democrat. Like, yeah. (laughs) yeah, I'm I'm from the South anyway. So, yeah. It's just uh, reverting to tradition.
2: (laughs) And anti-vax policy was not a right-wing thing until COVID. I'm sorry, yeah. it just wasn't. It wasn't like it. It was now there were like evangelical moms who didn't want that stuff, but it wasn't like necessary. And yeah, definitely not among
3: the crowd. Definitely, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, among like certain um, certain evangelical sects and this and that. And the best the Republicans could do was uh, just to allow you like a religious opt out. That was what they were offering.
2: Exactly. Uh,
3: instead of just being able to like refuse a medical intervention on its own grounds, because you've reviewed the, the evidence and find it lacking. But yeah, uh, Rick Perry was hey. widely considered in 2016 to be like one of the more, uh, like you wanted an example of like a, a orthodox conservative Republican. Uh, he was your guy right as texas governor very conservative a lot of things but he also signed the law that made uh made it mandatory to get the hpv vaccine to go to texas public schools
2: gardis gardasil
3: artisil uh. which is a big it, it's really it's a it's a big driver i think of the health problems that a lot of women are having today millennial women oh, zoomer wait. women because you're talking about something uh, you know vaccine that is, it induces an inflammatory response in the organs responsible for producing the steroid sex hormones. So it's, it's kind of like the thing, you know, it's kind of like if you nuked, uh, a teenage dude's balls to where he won't be able to produce as much testosterone as an adult, what do you think he's going to look like and act like when he's an adult? Yeah. Right. So the same thing, you know, same thing is happening with women, and I think it's actually, uh, you know, people talk about the wall, but I think it's a, a phenomenon that's caused by combination of hpv vaccines ssris and birth control pills yeah
2: <laughs> no I, I don't i don't it's like we left yeah, but i think yeah. I, I think you're right no i, I don't it, disagree <laughs> yeah it's, just like, it's like a bermuda triangle like it's just you know yeah. they, they disappear into that and it's like not even you know it's it's something completely different I, it's we've had people on here we've had women themselves come on here and say that i mean it's, it's it's true it's true in a sense and and like i just don't think uh yeah i mean again like you obviously need the COVID truther people to vote because if three million people are buying the RFK book, hmm, I don't know. There's not that many Kennedys out there. They have a big family, but there's not that many people buy. You know, just well, supporting three the, million
3: people are buying the book. Remember, it's it's always your most hardcore people who are buying a book. Like it's like one yeah, percent of an audience. Right, when, right. When it comes to those Twitter sales, it's. A couple of guys like BAP can, you know, really outperform that by big margin, but not even the majority of his followers have probably bought his book. Right. So right. that's, uh, that's, you know, 3 million is extremely impressive. And I, I'd say that, uh, his reach is at least 10 times that right now. And that's, yeah. a, you know, he's come out of the gate with a 20% polling level. Like he's polling pretty much as well against Biden as DeSantis is falling against Trump. Yeah. Crazy. Which is which is remarkable, uh, because you know, Desantis is a governor of a large state, very popular figure in the Republican Party, and all this mm-hmm. stuff. He's forty three points behind, so it's like why why are we supposed to take his campaign seriously, but not RFK's when they're you know at the same point, even though Desantis has a lot more preparation and a lot more big donors. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, that's
2: great. So I, I mean. Now I'd I'd like to talk about a, a, well, a 1930s Democrat, Um, John Steinbeck. Uh now, you know, Ben, you said you've been spending some time in California. You you went through the the Central Coast. I recently just went to the John Steinbeck Museum in Salinas. Um, went to his childhood home, which is like a restaurant, a farm to table restaurant, all from the Blue Zone Salinas project, which is pretty cool. Um, and I was not able to eat there, but I will go back during the summer and have a have have lunch there. Um, really cool, really cool area. Um, but I love Steinbeck. I I read him in in middle school uh, like almost exclusively for like a year. I read uh, of mice and men, grapes of wrath. Um, I can't remember what the other book that I read uh, during there, but um, just recently um, I was, Cy and I were going to read tortilla flat because we wanted something that was super central coast. Um, so I did read that. It's great. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but Ben recommended the long Valley, which I had not read. And the long Valley is, is a masterpiece. It's wonderful. And I don't want to get too far into any particular story now. Let's talk about the man himself, Ben. Tell me how you got to Steinbeck because you 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 jumped out. I remember one day I was talking in a chat and you were like, "I got to be a part of anything that's Steinbeck." And I was like, "Oh yeah, of course." But but why 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 is it so? Why is it such a soft spot for you?
3: Yeah. So my you know first first time I ever heard of him um, was just there in in Monterey. You know, we go over there a lot to the coast when I was a kid, oh, yeah. and you know, Cannery Row is like was a is basically a tourist attraction now um it was cooler back in the back in the 90s and early 2000s or so Uh, um it's gotten a little overdone with the tourism stuff yeah too many rocky mountain
2: chocolate factories
3: and shit yeah yeah. yeah. but uh you know still it was like there was just you heard his name everywhere you know steinbeck steinbeck Steinbeck. and I, i didn't get the significance of any of it until i was about high school age uh and i read cannery row and
2: that's the one i read that was the yeah. third one i couldn't and remember was, yeah. uh
3: you know great great fun story and that that's what kind of got me into him but i'd made the mistake of the next story i read of his was uh the red pony oh which that's is a killer just, yeah i mean just one of the most tragic heart-rending things that yeah the the, the guy had to be a Uh, sadist to, to just be able to write that.
2: Well, he had (laughs) one, he had a red pony that died.
3: Yeah. He he got, he really just got to the heart of like childhood heartbreak. Right. Which is when you, when you have, you know, a pet or something dies as a kid, see something rough like that. It's like, it's this level of emotion that you just, uh, it, it goes so far beyond what you experience as an adult, like reading that just takes you back to that. And uh, yeah, so that, uh, that one, you know, I didn't, I didn't really want to go read a lot of other Steinbook stuff after that <laughs> because it had me. So uh, it affected me so much, you know, it's kind of like I read uh, uh, the Cormac McCarthy book, uh, blood Meridian. Sure. And then after that was like, I just can't read anything else this guy writes. Cause it, this just, really impressive state
2: <laughs> no it's tough and and yeah. now that you point that out i would like to read for anybody who's never read steinbeck i got just a passage from the red pony i'm pretty sure this is the this is the passage that fucked ben up pretty bad now it's a story of jody jody's a kid and and what steinbeck captures before and this is part of it. you can read this in the long valley it's the last basically third of the long valley it's 90, 94 pages but there's so many great short stories before that but jody gets a pony uh, uh it's like a red show pony and it's not broken yet it's it's like just but his dad like kind of tentative but is like you better take care of this and it and it captures that emotion as a kid of like never really feeling joy about a gift because you're so overwhelmed by like not fucking it up um and that's something i can relate to a uh, big time like whether it's your first car whether it's a pet whether it's anything right like anything you get a new baseball glove i don't, I don't want to lose it i don't want to leave it somewhere just constantly being in that anxiety but um, Jody finds out that his pony escapes. Right, he, his pony was sick in the rain, um, uh, and it runs away. And this is uh, a passage from Steinbeck that I is so chilling because Steinbeck does not warn you that he's going to just go full on unhinged and like rip your heart out because it's it's very tame. A lot of his stuff, very very soft. A uh, lot of personification of nature. And then uh, then he just goes like full on and of mice and men's the same way. But uh, I'll start here. So Jody's looking for his horse. The pony's tracks were plain enough, dragging through the frost like dew on the young grass, tired tracks with little lines between them where the hoofs had dragged. They headed for the brush line halfway up the ridge. Jody broke into a run and followed them. The sun shone on the sharp white quartz that stuck through the ground there, here and there. As he followed the plain trail, a shadow cut across in front of him. He looked up and saw a high circle of black buzzards, and the slowly revolving circle dropped lower and lower. The solemn birds soon disappeared over the ridge. Jody ran faster then. Forced on by panic and rage, the trail entered the brush at, at last and uh, followed a winding ro- route uh, sorry followed a winding route among the tall sage brushes. At the top of the ridge, Jody was winded. He paused, puffing noisily the blood pounded between his the blood pounded in his ears then he saw what he was looking for below in one of the little clearings of the bush lay the red pony in the distance jody could see the legs moving slowly and convulsively and in a circle around him stood the buzzards waiting for the moment of death they knew so well so it's just that it's just that and he gets even more graphic after that. I won't read it in there, but it's just like it's not a it's not like if you're used to Blood Meridian, if you're used to this, it's not it's not more gory than that. However, the setup Cormac McCarthy does not tease you with beauty in his books. But- john steinbeck right. teases you yeah. with beauty the entire time and you're and you're just like oh uh, my Stein, god
3: steinbeck builds you up and makes you fall in love with his characters before mm-hmm. he murders them in a horrific <laughs> way 100
2: <laughs> <Yeah. 100%, laughs> dude 100 percent. and um no a couple things about about steinbeck um i am i wasn't able to finish i got halfway through his biography it was an audio book it's called mad at the world uh it just came out a couple years ago it's wonderful by the way um just i, I will finish it but um one thing he had was a, a big time and it shows up in, a, in his books. Like I think he is Jody very much um, uh, with the, of the story of the red pony is that he was uh, very much a uh, kind of had inferiority complex a um, couple times. One was when in the, in the early 1920s, he was a young writer. Uh, he would, I think he was in New York for a little bit. And you know, a lot of guys like uh, Hemingway were around and he was very jealous of Ernest Hemingway, very jealous. Right. And he Hemingway was the war hero, the decorated war hero Steinbeck served, but he wasn't, you know, like he was just regular old servicemen, you know, nothing, nothing crazy. Everybody served back then. And uh, Hemingway had the big books. He had the hit books and everything. And it's funny. I mean, Ben, you and I talked about this. I don't, I don't think Hemingway's better than Steinbeck.
3: I read the old man in the sea uh, while I was at the beach and about three quarters of the way through. I just hurled the, the book into the ocean. Damn, it's just Hemingway. Beat. It's just like, what is this? Just... Like this Ernest is
2: more like Ernest throwaway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know,
3: I, I got, I got back into Steinbeck uh, in college. I think it was a uh, senior year. I read East of Eden. Yeah, and you know, by then i I read a, a lot, you know, large variety. It was always been a huge reader. Uh, but I, you know, by that point, I had enough reading experience to know, like, that I had just uh, cracked open the greatest American novel that would ever be written, and uh, you know, I, I would put it up there with the Bible as, like, if I was going to carry something around and quote from it, like, it's, uh, you know, it, it's basically canon, uh, mm-hmm. and it's set,
2: uh, it's Cain and Abel, right? Isn't Eastern? Yeah, East yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's Cain and Abel and something yeah, else. so it's
3: kind of like a american western retelling of uh of the fall mm-hmm. uh, and it's just masterfully done he doesn't go it, the the allegory is not overhanded or uh or excessive it's right. uh it's just perfectly calibrated and you know it's something that uh in a lot of ways it takes that old story of genesis and uh helps you actually understand you know what it's talking about because it's you know you've you've seen the personality of the characters and and all this sort of thing but uh there's a, a quote from it and it, there's a couple of sides in east of eden where he, he'll just throw in a section that uh is just him writing to the reader and it, you know steps outside of like the world he's built uh in the narrative section of the novel he said uh, we have only one story all novels, all poetry are built on the never-ending contest in ourselves of good and evil. And it occurs to me that evil must constantly respawn while good, while virtue is immortal. Vice always a, f- a new, fresh, young face, while virtue is a- as venerable as nothing else in the world is. Uh, and that's, to me, that kind of sums up what a lot of his, his writing is about, uh, at least his fiction writing, and that there's just this this tension within people so instead of writing you know characters that are, are like all good or all bad you yeah. know you know he he writes them as uh humans you know each with their particular quirks or whatever although i will say his depiction of uh kathy is probably like the best depiction i've ever seen of a female sociopath
2: mm yeah he knew a few uh, He knew a few in real life. It's, yeah it's
3: actually it's actually chilling <laughs> to uh to get to know this uh, woman in the book like you might start having nightmares over just how uh cleverly evil she is yeah uh, but yeah and then uh, I think after that I read uh log from the Sea of Cortez.
2: Yeah, Ed Ricketts. His, uh, yeah, good Ed Ricketts.
3: Friend. And that's where he gets into some really interesting philosophy about uh, you know, talking about how when a species reaches a stage of advanced ornamentation, collapses soon to follow. And he's mm-hmm. like drawing, uh, you know, conclusions about the nature of uh, industrial society from his marine biology work. You know, with with ed
2: ricketts he, he yeah. worked with ed ricketts at a monterey basically like the monterey bay aquarium before it was that it was really just a research center it wasn't really like a tourist attraction and stuff it was actually like a like a you know marine life research center and he he worked there with ed, ed ricketts um and like steinbeck would take odd jobs all throughout there working in the in the cannery parts he would work in the fields his family was was agricultural his family had a little bit of money um, that would kind of basically subsidized him throughout like a lot of communists. He would get basically floated through his uh, writing career um, by his dad. And um, but 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 he did work. And um, the Sea of Quartet, which I haven't I have not read. I, I do want to read that. But the um, you know, another part of his inferiority complex is is when um, I didn't realize he had a relationship with uh, um, Joseph Campbell, the author. really. Um, oh, Yeah. So Joseph Campbell, if anyone doesn't know, I mean, it's like probably the most famous mythologist of all time. Um, Hero's Journey, things like that. Uh, Big time, you know, big time smart guy. So he shows up into town just like a Steinbeck character, right? Like a lot of these like characters, it'll just be like this big bad dude will come to town. The smartest guy in the world who before that it was like graded on a curve where the smartest guy or the best guy was just like one of 13. That was the smartest guy. But then this outsider would come in. And like the women would be attracted to him, the men would hate him. Two men would like secretly be teaming up with him. That's a very like Steinbeckian kind of uh, conflict that would that would pose. But Joseph Campbell comes in town. He's got his Cambridge degree. I think it was Cambridge. One of one other thing, he has his big degree. But he's like, it's the depression. And he can't find a job anywhere. He wants to teach somewhere, but like schools are failing and all that. And he wants a job and not. So Steinbeck was like famously not a romantic man. Right. With his with his women. He was not like with Carol was his uh, was his wife, but he wasn't really romantic. He said he had no nerve endings in his lips. So he couldn't kiss her. You know, that was kind of just like his. He was definitely like kind of a a stoic, uh, no PDA kind of guy. Now, Joseph Campbell, quite the opposite. Uh, Joseph Campbell creeped up on Carol Steinbeck and creeped up and had a little, you know, thing with her. You know, it was kind of a bump in their marriage. So Joseph Campbell smashed. Um, uh, And so that's why in a lot of his you know, books, his, his novels and things like that, you will see. I mean, there's a there's a in the Long Valley. There's a there's a. I will say there's a story called the murder in in the long valley. I love that story. It's one of the best ones in here. And you cannot tell me that's not about him dreaming about killing Joseph Campbell, because he did show up one day where Joseph Campbell was staying with a with a with a paper bag. And the guy goes, is that a gift? And he goes, no, it's for my dog. I want to talk to you. After a while, they realize, you know, he left it there because you know Steinbeck wasn't a killer like that. And Joseph Campbell looked in the bag and said, "Oh, it's a gun! Shit!" Like he was gonna like waste my ass. Yeah,
3: yeah that was uh, the the murder. That's uh, man, what a what a beautiful depiction of Slavic women.
2: Yes, yeah, she was she was too uh, she was too obedient. You know, the woman like she was just kind of like she had no personality. He wanted a little pushback. The protagonist, he's like, "I want to want a woman that's gonna like argue with me a little bit." You know what yeah, I mean? But it was his
3: fault because he didn't beat her. Remember, her father told him that he had to beat her. She's not like American women.
2: Yeah, you know, and Sonic she was, and then she, different. and then she had sex with her cousin too. Um, in the thing, which you know, in, the, yeah, in the, she, that, yeah, yeah,
3: which the protagonist kills and then beats her with a bullwhip, and it's at that point that she's transformed into a loving, obedient wife.
2: Yeah, there's a part in it, like, and again, this is where like Steinbeck, you think you've got a gauge on like how far the story goes, and then he completely takes you for like a takes you for a ride. Um, so it says And at the end
3: and at the end she forces him to promise that he'll beat her again.
2: <laughs> yeah, she was like kinda like, Hey, this dynamic, it works if you if you want, you know, like if if that's what you so like uh Jim is the protagonist. He finds he finds out that he finally like comes back after a short ride because some some one of his like horses or something had died on his farm. He was alerted. So he was saying he was going in town because he's going to go see some whores in town. So he's kind of already doing his own thing. He comes back and uh, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. It's, it's, uh, and I like the way he writes this. He says "Um, he cried a, a few dry, hard smothered sobs and wondered why for his thought, his thought was of the grassed hilltops and of the lonely summer wind whisking along. His thought turned to the way his mother used to hold a bucket to catch the throat blood when his father killed a pig. She stood as far away as possible and held the bucket at arm's length to keep her clothes on from getting splattered. Jim dipped his hand into the trough and stirred the moon to broken, swirling streams of light. He wetted his forehead with his damp hands and stood up. This time he did not move so quietly. But he crossed the kitchen on tiptoe and stood in front of the bedroom door. Jelka, moved her arm and opened her eyes a little. Then the eyes sprang wide and then they glistened with moisture. Jim looked her in the eyes. His face was empty of expression. A little drop ran down Jelka's nose and lodged in the hollow of her upper lip. She stared back at him. Jim cocked the rifle. A steel, the steel click sounded through the, throughout the house. The man on the bed stirred uneasily in his sleep. Jim's hands were quivering. He raised the gun to his shoulder and held it tightly to keep from shaking. Over the sights, he saw the little white square between the man's brows and hair. The front sight wavered a moment, then came to rest. The gun crashed, tore through the air. Jim, still looking down the barrel, saw the whole bed jolt under the blow. A small black bloodless hole was in the man's forehead, but behind the hollow point took brain and bone and splashed it all over the pillow. It's like, it's crazy. Like, you just don't think he's going to go that far. And it's... um. It happens a lot throughout the <laughs> it happens a lot throughout the Long Valley. He, a he has story.
3: a way mm-hmm. of uh, of romanticizing violence like no other. That's beautiful. I mean, it, it's know, beautiful. Like, he, he paints this beautiful picture, you know, like the the mother holding the bucket to catch the yeah. blood spattering, yeah. and like you can just visualize it, right? The the way he uh, you know says she's doing it. Um, yeah, it's just.
2: Yeah. She, she's, he's just thinking about like, I'm going to shoot this guy and I got to figure out a way to like, not cut, get, not make it messy. Like, it's just, it's just this side uh, the, that the pensive like way of just going to the trough, it's like a stage play almost going to the trough and splashing the pig water on your, on your face and yeah. stuff. Just like, do I really want to do this? And, um, you know, uh, w- what's that good?
3: Uh, I was going to say that, you know, it's, it's not all, uh, it's not all blood and guts, uh, because he will give a he will give us enough humor to just kind of snap us back out of it for the most part. There's no humor in Red Pony, but uh, you know I think he fo- he followed up the murder with uh, Saint Katie the Virgin. So yeah,
2: yeah. And um, Johnny Bear is also a very funny story about people who blab too much in small towns. Very funny, yeah. and it's like really absurdist and like Lynchian um, yeah. in a, in a sense. I would have loved to have seen David Lynch. Uh, take a John Steinbeck short story and make a little something out of it. That would have been really cool. But um, uh, also uh, one more thing, cause I want to get into tortilla flat cause I read that. So I want to, I want to talk about that. But um, John Steinbeck went to Stanford university. And if you're from the Bay area, you know, you know if you're from anywhere you see Stanford, it is like this medical school, um, uh, of all, you know, uh, in the West coast is just medicals, the, the, the medical school of all medical schools. And, um, but when Steinbeck went, I think it was in like 1919, it was right around prohibition. Um, it was just on a vineyard and, you, and actually a lot of, when you go through, uh, Menlo and Palo Alto, you see like a lot of the vineyards still there, even though the school is just this huge industry of like whatever, all the stuff RFK doesn't want, um, you know, just all, all these these things happening. And, uh, there's a couple stories about Steinbeck who, who was a drinker. Um, the, there was a, there was a Stanford student who was so drunk. This was pre-prohibition. Um, and he had walked, uh, the Stanford student was so drunk, he walked into the wrong guy's house and got shot and killed. And therefore, um, in the city of Stanford at the time, it's not Menlo or anything. It's called Stanford. Um, and it, it, uh, then prohibition happened in the city from that. So Steinbeck, they were all making bootleg stuff and he had Chinese absinthe. He was getting super hammered uh, at his friend's house. It was like a kind of like right off campus. Um, And uh, all of a sudden he's, he's just, you know, right, right by the Stanford campus. He just thought it would be a good idea to take his revolver out and just empty the clip inside the house, just at a wall at a drywall. And it's like, that's California a hundred years ago. And it's like, that feels like it should be California a thousand years ago but like if i did that now i would be uh in guantanamo bay that's hmm. that's just what i was that's just that's all i have to say about that it's it's a it's a crazy story but sai you you read tortilla flat um and you and i have been talking laughing um making <laughs> jokes about it but it is it is a book that is um it's quite interesting cuz one thing that that steinbeck uh that i learned from his biography and i i never I, I totally see it now that, it, that, that I heard it, but I, I couldn't find a way to put, put it in words, is that he uh, likes to create little environments like small communities. And if you go to the Central Coast, it immediately makes sense, especially Salinas, where he's from. Uh, you'll see that uh, whenever something gets too big, it, you know, like wh- whether somebody starts making a bunch of money, um, conflict happens, the environment reverts back to its primal form right so th- to explain that you know tortilla flat is basically a it's the it's a retail it's kind of an allegory for the knights of the round table which he learned from joseph joseph campbell by the way so while he was getting cucked uh he was at least harvesting a little something from uh joseph campbell and he read the books a lot as a kid but he he learned the meanings of of uh of all that stuff from joseph campbell but it's about these four guys they're called paisanos but essentially it's uh indigenous native americans mixed with spaniards mexicans and uh it is uh it's it's a hilarious story but you know anytime it's about this this town that while monterey is booming it's becoming this big you know sardine export place there's this flat that's just kind of you know in the middle of nowhere called tortilla flat that like doesn't have electricity is just completely like a time capsule so Sy, what did you think of it
1: Man, I mean, it honestly made me depressed for the world we live in today. Because yeah. I grew, well, I grew up. I mean, I grew up my whole, you know, we, you know, we grew up in the South Bay, but um, you, you see, have we ties, every weekend, yeah, every weekend. You have special ties here. to that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whenever to the, uh, whenever to Monterey, and we we're talking like you know agricultural land, not like you know Carmel or whatever bullshit is going on. You know, nothing against Carmel, but well, yeah, um, careful. Yeah, and but and so I would. Uh, my dad was a construction guy, and I would ever since I was like eight, nine, ten years old, I'd go and work with them on job sites with like a bunch of Mexican dudes in Salinas and shit, you know, and and uh, and Marina and all, all these places. So it it was just very um, to hear what life was like back then, you know, was just like such. A, I'm not saying I was like I'm not romanticizing it, saying it was like better or worse. It was just like God. Like you just look at what everything is now. Like obviously the Central Coast is still great now. But uh man, yeah, it's depressing just to think of what it could have been. And yeah, hilarious book. I mean it's just so it's hysterical. It, it's so it's so fucking great. I really I
2: really great. enjoy it. It reverts, it reverts to like Shakespearean dialect at random times, like where the characters yeah. will be Dost thou needeth more wine. Danny? You know, <laughs> yeah. you'll just be like, but then for a while, they won't be speaking that way. And it is really funny. The, the, uh, it's an environment that corrects itself, right? Like the minute that it, it grows, like it's watching your hometown know that it's best to stay the way it is like, and just kind of like anytime, that they get a scheme right these these guys basically it's they're freeloader guys Danny and Pilon they come back from the war Danny is gifted two houses right one of them is up for rent um he rents one to Pilon but it's like Pilon's never going to pay him like it's never going to happen it's like agreed upon that like Pilon doesn't have a job but you can just rent the house he's essentially renting him the house and giving it to him so he doesn't have to think about the responsibility of having another house yeah um that's that's how it is so Pilon burns the house down one way or another and uh everybody's like kind of like well okay cool at least i only have like one house now that's (laughs) it and uh it's like oh man that overhead was getting (laughs) crazy it's these guys like they get burdened by anything that isn't just like getting hammered all day and like maybe working like five days out of the year (laughs) like like taking a job at the local squid factory which pays an exorbitant amount like it's like everything costs you know in the whatever time it is like i think it's like uh, i think it was written in 35 but it takes place a little before that i think it's right after world war one um
1: and everything you know you can make like three dollars a day cutting squid no we were just talking about that today because i I, when i was reading the book and i'm you have no context for the money you're like okay it costs two dollars to connect the water he's charging like a dollar two dollars for rent it costs this much, and then at the end they're like, "Yeah, we worked one day and made fourteen dollars." You're like, "What the fuck? Like, how are you guys? Like, like, that's all it took?" was like Yeah, if you, just,
2: if you just if you just put your head down and worked for like three weeks. Yeah. out of the year. Like you would have just you could have just lived that life. Yeah. But like that alone is just that ruins the whole thing if they do that. Like it yeah. ru- it's it's this it, and it, everything's wine, right? Like money is like so vestigial, right? It's like not even really about money because it's just about getting more wine. There's a funny time where that where Danny is like really uh, trying to impress this woman, like this woman of the town, and he buy <laughs> he goes down to the store which is owned by this uh, presumably Italian man Torelli. Uh, who they call a Jew when he won't give any wine? It's just they just go. He's just being a Jew today. Um, and so Danny scrounges up some of his money and buys a vacuum cleaner for this woman. Right? It's like, oh my god! And the woman's really excited. She has a vacuum cleaner. They don't have electricity. Like you can't use it. It doesn't do anything. (laughs) And, um, but she still wants it. She's like, Hey, I kind of still, this still slaps. Like I have one. I want people (laughs) to know that I can like flex on people with my, with my uh, vacuum cleaner and stuff. So then after a while, Pilon Danny's scheming friend who always tries to find a way of his scheming plan to be like a deed he's doing for somebody. He's like, well, she can't use the vacuum cleaner. Danny's going to want more wine, you know? So (laughs) we'll just trade it back to Torelli for more wine and, um, you know, I didn't get a chance to watch the, uh, the watch the 1937 movie. Um, I'm going to boycott it because it's all white people in the movie. Um, it's the one time I think I'll, I'll boycott that in, in any movies. Cause I'm like, <laughs> What they need to do is cast all Mexican people in it and make me the director. Um, and uh, what I would do, uh, just I, I, I'm just saying, you know, I'm I just, I, I'm the one. I think it's a finder's fee at least for me. And uh, what I would do is tortilla flat would be a shopping center, parking lot, liquor store right there. Maybe a home improvement store, if you know what I'm saying. Um, just a store that you would buy like wood, maybe plants um and then like have the like some labor maybe some like kind of off the books labor outside and that would be the tortilla flat it would be like an allegory of that where like hey like you know i usually want to just drink in front of this like home improvement store all day like hank hill or maybe i could like go help this guy install a fountain in his backyard you know for like 20 bucks you know and something like that and that would be a really good way to remake this movie i i mean i'm not kidding by the way but um ben have you read this book
3: I have not actually. It's uh, I, I own it. It's on the shelf, but I haven't haven't got to that one yet. it's
2: fun it's fun no 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 it's not and there's a there's a really funny part of this book it doesn't spoil anything uh, at all and not that i would care if it did anyways but um but the there's there's a um when danny's really starting to lose it danny's the protagonist he he really he was always kind of a a violent person at the beginning he was always kind of like a hooligan but he really kind of like gets on like a straight and narrow for after a while and he really starts to lose it and there's a guy jesus maria who really kind of he's the only guy that really has an arc in the book because he's kind of like they find him in a ditch like hammered at the beginning like and like just to steal his wine but then after a while they feel bad and they give him a house uh or let him stay at the rented house but jesus maria starts telling stories of like all the guys that like fell in love with women or failed at things and just wanted to kill themselves but they couldn't even do that right um because again it's it's like the environment will decide when you're gonna die you know what I mean? Like, it's like you you don't get to take that. Um, this is really funny. There's a guy named uh, Tall Bob Smoke, um, and he was uh, like kind of a rodeo kind of guy and uh, says, this is how it went with him. Whenever he tries to be a great man, something happens and everyone laughs. You remember when he was a pound master and he tried to, all afternoon to lasso a dog. Everyone in town came to see. He threw the rope and the dog squatted down and the rope slipped off and the dog ran away. Oh, the people laughed. Bob was so ashamed that he thought I will kill myself and then people will be sad. They will all be sorry. They laughed. And then he thought, but I'll be dead. I will not know how sorry they are. So he made this plan. I will wait until I hear someone come into my room. Then I will point a pistol at my head. Then my friend will argue with me. He will make a, make me a promise not to shoot myself. The people will be sorry that they drove me to kill myself. That is the way, that is the way he thought it. So he walked home to his little house, and everybody he, everybody passed out. He said, "Did you catch the dog, Bob?" He was very sad when he got home. He took a pistol and put cartridges in it. He stood there and waited. And uh, basically, the whole idea is that he uh, um, still screwed that part of it up because somebody tried to rustle it out of his hand, and he shot like himself in the face and maimed himself. So um, <laughs> it's just uh, it's 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 really funny. This is like a really lighthearted book. I guess Steinbeck got the idea from a, a teacher in Monterey who taught all, basically all Mexican kids. Um, so that, that's that. Uh, he,
3: he's really, uh, his depictions of suicide are are really entertaining. Uh, weirdly enough, there's one in East of Eden where a woman after she, uh, discovers that her husband had cheated on her. She discovered this because, uh, he had contracted venereal disease Mm -hmm. and, uh, best her, she, you know, wrote a note out, uh, decided to suicide you put on this white dress but there was a drought on so there wasn't enough water for her to properly drown herself she had to get down and <laughs> on her knees in the mud and put her face under the like the yeah you know, there's like an inch of water there in this little puddle and she's got to like hold the back of her head down <laughs> to drown herself
2: yeah it's yeah. crazy man like
3: <laughs> it's yeah it's such a tragic comic depiction at, yeah. uh yeah it was really masterful with these old
2: yeah things. and now now getting into the man himself so did you have any more thoughts on tortilla flat i mean it's not a super complex book it's just really fun <laughs> it's like 166 pages you'll blow through it it's hilarious but did you have any more thoughts on
1: it uh no not yet Maybe something may come up
2: yeah we could always <laughs> pop back to it now um you know one thing and i remember i didn't know this about steinbeck until i got into the to biography and last time we talked to jack he brought it up too was um there is a, a story in the Long Valley called the Raid, where these two guys that you don't know—they're selling this kind of like they're preachers in a sense, and they're kind of like criminals in and out of jail all the time. But they're kind of—you are like—are they running a cult or something? It finds out they're they're communists is what you find out, and they're trying to sell it. Now Steinbeck was was a communist. I mean, it's it's you have to say it. there's no other way to slice it. Now, at that time, I think that means something a little different. Coming out of the Depression, that's when you started seeing a lot of communism like the rise of, of communism at least in the west um where people saying like well that didn't work whatever we were doing that got into the depression um and then fdr would kind of you know water it down i suppose and and then uh essentially get people out of whatever depression they were in now now steinbeck said that he was blackpilled on communism though while he was a communist like he was one of those guys like yeah i'm a communist but that's just not gonna happen because he said there's a quote where he basically said, like, communism could only happen if workers realized like what they actually are. They realize they're workers. But every worker in America is, is views themselves as a tempor- temporarily embarrassed millionaire, which right. uh so true. That's what I am. I'm so, I, I need to become a millionaire. I mean, I, I that's how I am. But, uh, uh, I'd like to see what you, what, what Ben's take (laughs) on, uh, Steinbeck's communism is.
3: Yeah. My thing is, uh, you know, I think at, at the time it wasn't this doctrinaire thing, uh, that it is seen as today. I think, uh, in America, a lot of it was just, you know, it was almost, communism was almost synonymous with the labor movement and with, uh, you know, workers fighting for their rights against, uh, you know, these major corporations and and that sort of thing. So when you when you look at what he was seeing, right, the conditions he was viewing, I mean, he was not dealing with a free market. He was not he was not responding to uh, to capitalism as such. But what we had at the time, which was more of a for, form of mercantilism into fdr's New deal which was uh really it's uh its own weird form of fascism which was the merger of uh state and corporate power mm-hmm. and how you know you you look at what he you seeing in agriculture I mean the the new Deal laws concerning agriculture were just uh horrifying. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, we're talking about destroying food in a country where people were starving to death. Yeah, uh, because we we were doing market interventions to try to keep the price up, and you know, we were telling farmers, you can't, you know, you can only plant this many acres of this crop, and we've decided that fifty percent of your lemon harvest this year will be, you know, buried. Right, and, and it reminds me of a lot of what we saw early on in COVID. Yeah, yeah, uh, this industrial agricultural system which is what steinbeck was seeing that take root and when you read when you read him in the sea of cortez you start to understand him and and also his more philosophic statements he was not a communism in terms of uh he was not a communist in terms of you know believing in uh you know, sub subverting the individual, right. Removing individual freedom and initiative. Cause when you read what he had to say in East of Eden, it was very clear that there are no good collaborations, mm-hmm. you know, the, the glory that he described it, which is what makes life worth living. Uh, it can only be experienced in the in, individual mind and that the free exploring mind is the only thing that matters to him politically. And that, you know, the, uh, the processes of mass production were getting into the people, right? He saw industrialism as being this corrupting force that was, uh, you know, in the development of consumerist society and this sort of thing. So he gets into that and travels with Charlie, right? About how um, everything is wrapped in cellophane. You know, no one has touched my food, mm-hmm. without, like wearing gloves. And there's plastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, on my toilet seat cover to, to prove that it's been disinfected. And, you know, so at the time you had this, what he was, what he was really reacting to was this, uh, new industrialism right. that just was such a foreign new thing. Right. It was seen as progress, but it was just such a radical departure from the America that he had known. Uh, so in a, Weird, sense, his uh, his communism was like a uh, or his affiliation. I wouldn't, because I don't think he actually had any real communist ideology. No, he
2: was cast out. He actually he was not embraced by communists. Um, He said that he said that uh, that my form of, you know, there was there was a. I don't mean to cut you off, but there was a uh, a there there. You see it even today. Like I don't mind the the hippie kind of communism of like literal commune like where yeah, you're like dude. oh i have a com- I of a commune you know what i'm saying like and i like i get the idea of steinbeck being in that 831 area code and just be like i want all this nationalized this right. is me like keep this the way it is preserve it it's beautiful it's almost like conservatism
3: i just but want like- people to have health care like, he's, he's a communist <laughs> yeah. in the same way that Dasha is a communist
1: right <laughs> yeah <laughs> I wonder yeah. if John Steinbeck was one of those guys that actually read Marx back in the day, like today, or whether he was like, yeah, yeah, I read it. You know? <laughs> nah, he was just
2: hammered, like, talking to communist <laughs> yeah, people yeah, at bars. Exactly. Like, he was just one of those guys, like, I, I don't, maybe he did. I, he doesn't, he didn't, I, I I didn't get to that part in his bio if he did, but I, a lot of his stuff, like, a lot, like, that stuff was pretty popular. It was, like, a subversive, yeah. like, speakeasy topic back then, like, of, like, we're drinking, like, banned yes. alcohol. Like, dude, he was drinking with uh, Joseph Campbell. He was drinking... Um, at the since alcohol was not back yet like it was not uh prohibition was still happening but they were drinking uh, lab alcohol from the marine biology lab and making cocktails out of it him and joseph campbell like of course of course the, the like they're probably talking about weird like communist stuff like that and like my, my thing with that is like again like i don't mind people especially back then when people were like it, it was almost like a Ludism, like like i don't want to I don't want this rapid industrialization because now you'll see a lot of communists that will be like no the industrialization industrialization is great right. it's good we can do it workers need to run it and it's like because that's what the, the arguments framed yeah. as
3: because the communists also you know the USSR also pursued a policy of industrialization right and it was the um uh, group of southern writers called uh, uh, the, I think it's the, the fugitives uh were out of uh Vanderbilt I think down in Nashville but they had uh composed a, a series of essays and, and one of them one of the writers had made the argument that communism and capitalism uh as it was understood in the 30s were two sides of the same coin and that really it was industrialism versus agrarianism and that you know it didn't matter uh so much the degree to which um uh, you know basically the, the distinctions between capitalism and communism were much smaller than, um uh, than people were kind of framing them as right now. They were just all part of this larger process that was something older that we've been grappling with. But, um, you know, in the, in the grapes of wrath, uh, which, you know, is fictional, but also is very, very in line with, uh, how things actually were in those days, uh, you know, which I know, you know, I had family who came in, came in the dust bowl, picked, uh, picked cotton. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's family stories have of, uh, you know, people going hungry. And at the same time, the, the government was ordering the destruction of food. So, uh, there's this passage in grape's of wrath he says uh, the works of the roots of the vines of the trees must be destroyed to keep up the price and this is the saddest bitterest thing of all carloads of oranges dumped on the ground the people came for miles to take the fruit but they could but this could not be how would they buy oranges at 20 cents a dozen if they could not if they could drive out and pick them up so men with hoses squirt kerosene on the oranges and they are angry at the crime angry at the people who have come to take the fruit Mm -hmm. A million people hungry, needing the fruit and kerosene sprayed over the golden mountains and the smell of rot fills the country, burn coffee for fuel in the ships, burn corn to keep warm. It makes a hot fire, dump potatoes in the rivers and place guards along the banks to keep the hungry people from fishing them out, slaughter the pigs and bury them and let the putrescence slip down into the earth. There's a crime here that goes beyond denunciation. There's a sorrow here that weeping cannot symbolize. There's a failure here that topples all our success, the fertile earth, the straight tree rows, the sturdy trunks, and the ripe fruit. And children dying of pellagra must die because a profit cannot be taken from an orange. And coroners must fill in the certificate, died of nutrition, because the food must rot, must be forced to to rot. The people come with nets to fish for potatoes in the river, and the guards hold them back. They come in rattling cars to get the dumped oranges, but the kerosene is sprayed and they stand still and watch the potatoes float by listening to the screaming pills, the screaming pigs being killed in a ditch and covered with quicklime. Watch the mountains of oranges slop down into putrefying ooze. And in the eyes of the people, there is the failure. And in the eyes of the hungry, there is a growing wrath and the souls of the people, the grapes of wrath are filling and growing heavy, growing heavy for the vintage. Mm. And, you know, what he was describing, there's people seeing the out, you know, the outrages of these new deal policies and yeah, they're going to go in a radical direction and yeah. he wasn't exempt from that. And it's, it's like, fire when you, yeah, fire yeah, when fight. you see this kind of thing happening, uh, you know, suddenly like you, you kind of lose all uh, you know, all desire to preserve that system as it exists. You know, so there there's this kind of uh disgust with this the status quo the way things are and it built it creates this rage and you know when that explodes into a full-on revolution in a lot of cases like in most cases of communism um, what ends up being constructed is even worse yeah right? but it it didn't just come out of nowhere it's it's kind of like on the other side you know people, uh have that line you know and then suddenly you know germany woke up one day and voted Adolf hitler into power
2: exactly it's yeah. it's 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 a it's something it's an ideology or whatever buying low on the public right, right? it's it's this it's this yeah. thing like the public's at all time they're fishing potatoes out of the river and he got and called a liar he got called a liar for that book by the way
3: i you know uh, he, uh people could speak to the uh the ghost of my grandfather because uh he could set him straight on that i mean he, he witnessed stuff like that when he was a when he was a kid, uh, I, I, you know, on my mom's side, uh, you know, her family was from down in Appalachia and uh, her mother, when, when her mother was a little girl, the IRS agent came and took away the family milk cow. Oh. Uh, her mom was widowed, recently widowed. She had a infant still nursing, but she had her milk had dried up. And so that milk cow was the only source of sustenance for this infant. And yeah, a federal agent came led the milk cow away, you know, for, for some tax debt they had and the baby died. You know, and then that's like, that's my family. So, uh, things were, things were really bad. I mean, when, you know, people who say that there wasn't malnutrition and starvation going on in the depression, I mean, that that's just wrong. Like my, my uh <laughs> there's like two generation of women in my family it's passed on to my sister now uh but my great aunts when i was a kid i couldn't figure out how when we would go to visit them uh down in southwest virginia and north carolina i, I couldn't figure out why they were constantly trying to feed me you know mm. like we were not even cleaned up from one meal and you know, aunt Bess is asking like if, you know, if I'm still hungry or if there's anything she fixed and, you know, people would go to her house and, um, I I heard it. Uh, people talk about this at a funeral, a lot of different people. It was, she was like that to everybody. They would go to her house and she was constantly trying to feed them. And, you know, if they wouldn't eat there, she would like load them up with canned goods. She had a huge garden and canned a ton of food in the summer. And, you know, we just always thought it was just some, you know, personality quirk or something like that. And it was at her funeral that I discovered that uh, when she was young, she, there were people in the community they knew that died of starvation. Yeah. Like that's how poor and destitute people were. And that that had, that had created a uh, sort of trauma reaction that for the rest of her life she was just uh trying to feed everybody you know and there's uh there's a there's a poetic tragedy in that sort of thing but that passed down to my mom's generations <laughs> so my mom and her sisters are like that and then yeah. <laughs> that's passed on to my uh sister. So thank God I'm in a family full of women who are just constantly trying to feed me. That's uh, it's, it's such a blessing.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 true. And it's funny when you, you when you kind of like, let's say you're like on a diet kind of cutting a little bit or something like that. Like they start wondering if you have like cancer or something. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah they, there's a little pantry, a little closed door meeting in the pantry like so they're not eating. There. He's not eating. He's not eating. And then like it becomes a big thing. And it's like it's like because it's this day, it's like they you eat now because you don't know when the next one is. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, It's great. Uh, It's uh, um. But yeah, like getting back to. I mean, I guess to 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 get it all. I I think what the one thing we haven't really hammered about Steinbeck is where he's from. Um, if you haven't been to the central coast, if you haven't been there his writing is a very good, he does a very good job describing it. Um, And there are still parts of it that are absolutely gorgeous that look the way that he says it. But then there's also times like you'll be driving and I'll be driving down highway one. And then I'll see like a Driscoll sign, right? Like a a shitty Driscoll signs and a guy in a Tyvek suit uh, handling, um, handling vegetables like it's explosives. You know what I mean? Like just, just like with, with, with this, because they're just, they're, they're beat to shit. And it's like, it's that soil. And it's like, it's all that stuff that like, you know, I don't know if Steinbeck was an agricultural, you know, uh, activist or anything like that, but like, you didn't have to be because if you were from there, that's all you knew. You're like, well, I want that. I want this, this beautiful, these beautiful artichoke bushes everywhere. You know, I, I just want, I just want these popping out and these, these wonderful, you know, like that part of it's gone, but you can still drive through. Like they, they did a good job. Um, keeping Main Street Salinas alive, if Main Street Salinas yeah. looks like it's still in 1950, like it's really cool. They have old theaters there. Um, there's been some flooding over the past year, but also that flooding it kind of brought it back because everything was really brown in California for a while. Yeah. I, I lost what California was, I lost what California was for a long time <laughs> with COVID response and a drought. I was like, I don't know what this place is anymore, but it's green as hell and it's back.
3: <laughs> that reminds me of that uh, that great Steinbeck quote on the thirty year water cycle in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know it? I don't know it. Uh, he said, uh, "Let me." The water came in a thirty year cycle. There would be five or six wet and wonderful years when uh, on, I lost my plate. Where there might be nineteen to twenty five inches of rain, and the land would shout with grass. Then would come six or seven pretty good years of 12 to 16 inches of rain, and then the dry years would come, and sometimes there would be only seven or eight inches of rain. The land dried up, and the grasses headed out miserably a few inches high, and and great bare, scabby places appeared in the valley. The live oaks got a crusty look, and the sagebrush was gray. The land cracked, and the springs dried up, and the the cattle listlessly nibbled dry twigs. Then the farmers and the ranchers would be filled with disgust for the Salinas Valley. The cows would grow thin and sometimes starve to death. People would have to haul water and barrels to their farms just for drinking. Some families would sell out for nearly nothing and move away. And it never failed that during the dry years, people forgot about the rich years. And during the wet years, they lost all memory of the dry years.
0: So it true. was always
3: that way. And that's, that's what California had just gone through. It had gone through its, its death cycle. You know, Mm. it's it's on this uh, as as a even beyond the central coast. You know, as a place, uh, I I feel like California has been written off for dead in the Mm -hmm. national culture imagination, whatever. You know, I mean, we hear it all the time, right? Mm -hmm. California is turned into a hellscape. I happen to disagree because the weather's still great. But uh, especially now that there's uh, that there's been some. Rain. And I'm
2: sorry, we're the only place with small businesses still. By the way,
3: yeah, we, yeah, um, it's true, it's true. It's like uh, you know, if you if you want to eat at Applebee's, you can move to some move somewhere else. You know, go to. Uh, uh, I don't want anybody to attack me, so I'm not going to mention. No, it's, just it's, we it's, know where the
2: out, everyone knows where they go to from. Ohio.
3: Go to Ohio. Okay,
2: but, Damn, Ohio's having a rough year, man.
3: Jeez. <laughs> Damn. Well we're we're old we're old rivals uh dating back to the civil wars.
2: hundred percent Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you already uh, know your enemies are there, so you can't yeah. you can't can't make it worse, right? But yeah. yeah,
3: but yeah, I feel like uh with this spring, with this crazy amount of rain that California's gotten, uh yeah, I feel like we're back.
2: It is, it is, exactly. and and it's like you know, and I, I've I've come to think about a lot of stuff like about why. Like it sounds like tooting your own home, but like Sai, Sai and I talk about this. It's like our whole like mission statement for our podcast was like, look, like COVID, like we got to the bottom of COVID, like on this show, and we got to the bottom, especially with you, uh, Ben, like on on dissolving illusions to like the history of of basically the COVID response. Essentially, like it was just it was just all every other time that a pandemic happened, the response and all that stuff. But I started to realize, like Sai, why were we right? Why did we come to that conclusion? Like, why was it like, why was it not that hard for us to like geography to, to keep yeah. that? Mm-hmm. There is something about it because why do people? Why did everyone come here in the late nineties to make to it, this place breeds innovation? Yeah. yeah, People say capitalism breeds innovation. There's truth to that. California, California breeds, breeds innovation. California yeah. breeds innovation. People come out here to be smart, and the problem is, is, people leave here to become libtards in other states. That's we're exporting right now. We're exporting. Whoa geniuses and not import it where we import people but there used to be people from other states like mark yeah i'm not saying mark cuban but like those mark cuban midwest types that would come out here and just see a a, a, a wealth of freedom i'm not i'm not a big no, tech I guy think, at all but i just i'm I just think saying they're actually true.
0: Problem. yeah it's, no 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 I, i'm not saying it, but
3: yeah people come to california it's usually people from the red heartland who, uh, who you know, feel like they have to get out of their conservative environments, you know, so yeah. they make to the coast. And so you end up getting these HickLibs. They come into California, you know, they work, they make their money, they influence the politics there. And then when the natural results of their HickLibism catch up with them and you have, you know, crime problems in San Francisco and, you know, the high taxes and all this other stuff throughout the state – then they flee and they go to repeat the cycle somewhere else. So it's like these locusts (laughs) native Californians are a completely different breed. Native Californians are the chosen people. Like, you know, the black Israelite theory, you know, and all this Mm -hmm. stuff, everybody's trying to claim Californians are the real Jews.
2: I, ah, okay i won't go that far but the uh, yeah, the, california,
3: the, uh look, i, feel about, for while, I yeah. feel about california the way that theodore Herzl felt about palestine
1: <laughs> the, yeah. the 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 i want words.
3: to I, I i want to go with i want to create a gaza strip on the border with nevada that we're going <laughs> to just take all like yeah yeah you, know, you have to go through you have to go through like a full test like a five check mm. if you're going to be a californian you know, like if you're going to move to California, you have to become a Californian through mm. and through. If you don't pass the vibe check, you get sent to the uh, Mojave strip. Yeah. And they're just going to pin you there and you can have like your, you can have your tech startups over there and whatever. But uh, I think, you know, I think actually talking about the innovation, I mean, I think part of it is just uh, the natural beauty of California. It is. You the, fertility, can, it, the fertility of the land. When you have good years, place like the salinas valley it's just bursting with life oh god it's beautiful and you know when you have the wildflower blooms and all these things uh you know and i think part of that was like why steinbeck found like the uh the modern consumerist industrial society to be so horrifying because it was so divorced from nature yeah right and what he grew up in was like people lived In this, uh, you know, back and forth with nature, right? Joan Didion had had once said that the main difference to her between the south and the west, uh, you know, the southern U.S. and California, particularly, was that in the south, people had felt like they had just cursed the blood or cursed the land with blood, and in California, people believed that there was nothing that they could do that could touch the land, like California. Its natural environment was like something that was so powerful and above any human ability to like manipulate or harness or anything like that
2: yeah and and also you know getting i didn't want to leave the hick lib point because i think like those people that come from those states those like super polarized states like growing up even when i was like a libtard like i had a bunch of conservative friends like here that were just like california like reaganite people and stuff it was never an issue like the politics was just like yeah, you, you, your politics, you know, and I I understand in like once 2016 happened and social media and stuff that everywhere was like that, but for the longest time, like it's like the state, this state, there's like, you can go to the beach and you'll see the beach, but everybody's at the beach and everybody's completely different. And it's like this diversity, like this, not shoehorned, like, you know, forced diversity thing that you see nowadays. It was just like, look, everybody here is different, but we're all here for the same thing. Um, We, and, and, and all that, but like, you'd get these fucking imported hick libs like i'm a red state survivor you yeah. know just like these yeah. type of people they're like they they try to like turn this place into like this sanctuary state then it's not what fox news says is a sanctuary state now that all that stuff's true too but i just mean in the sense it's a sanctuary state for these fucking libtards that come here and they they don't have a vested interest in california like they don't want california to be better they just are like i'm so glad i'm here i'm so glad that i'm here now with like-minded right. people and it's like well you're not because
1: even if i agreed with you politically you we don't have the same process and the way like, they bring it up and they're like yeah i'm from georgia and they wait for you to ask like oh god how d- you poor thing you know, they like expect you you know what i mean yeah. it's yeah, like you know, how when yeah, it's people
3: like a- it, it's like how when people leave the mormon church they suddenly i'm <laughs> yeah. like just the the nastiest like most horrible people like and i'm not mormon i'm, j- I'm just saying that yeah something it's really weird that this whole uh, ex-Mormon phenomenon where they just become like the worst caricatures of Redditors, right? (laughs) People who leave any conservative religious denomination, they tend Mm -hmm. to have a lot of bitterness against that. And it's, it's like, uh, you know, growing up, I I always could tell who had like left the church by, uh, you know, who was behaving like worse than the heathens. You know, like just yeah. like never been religious, uh, you know, displayed like a lot more, uh, morality and virtue than these people who had just decided that they were going to reject everything that they had been taught.
1: The and, baby bathwater kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So,
3: uh, yeah. And yeah, I mean, there's just like people do not understand California. And Gideon no. touched on it because people think that you can fly to California in five hours from New York City. Um, but as she put it the real california is much harder to get to yeah
1: yeah yeah and uh-huh. you know
3: so i was i was just down in san diego over the weekend oh beautiful town and you know you you keep seeing these um uh, trump uh, trump flags being waved uh like out at the, you know out at the like a dude had one on his pickup truck at the beach yeah yeah, yeah in la jolla
2: Mil- military town yeah
3: yeah and uh some of the, some of the most based people, I think uh, in our culture today, you see they're disproportionately Californians. I think a big part of that is, you know, there's no political outlet for the right there. Like you're not going to get elected to the Senate or yeah. become governor. So people have to seek kind of a different form of expression, right? I mean, I mean, you guys, guys, you have a podcast.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah you're not gonna be elected the mayor of San Francisco. No. Uh so actually I think I think the American right gets a huge amount of its uh creative energy from uh, from California. Yeah. And, and yeah th- I don't know, there's just a, a whole Thank you, ben I'm just yeah
2: <laughs> i just kidding.
3: Well uh Andrew Breitbart. True uh, yeah.
2: Matt Drudge is
3: California, right? Matt Drudge. Who's that? Uh, I never
2: Oh, the Drudge, the Drudge Report was like old school, oh, like Drudge, conservative. Okay. Yeah. You're, I was going to say, there's no way your dad I've didn't the read Drudge the Drudge, Drudge Report. report. Yeah, there's yeah. Just <laughs> no way that your dad wasn't listening to Coast to Coast, just fucking <laughs> running through the Drudge Report back in the night. Yeah. No, he was, they he were, got, Drudge had the Clinton stuff early, like the Clinton sex uh, yeah. scandal. He had that stuff really early. Like, he, that was, he, he sold got. his
3: website to some libtards, but for the longest time, like, he was, as he, you
2: do. He, yeah. He was
3: yeah. like, he, Drudge Report was where everyone went for the news. Like yeah. who wanted to? Who wanted to see like the actual headlines for the
1: day? Word, word. Uh,
3: you know, you have even like old Hollywood, right? Uh, you mm-hmm. have the Milius clan. Uh, shout out Amanda. You know, yep. Mm-hmm. Shout out Amanda. Uh, you have uh Clint Eastwood,
2: <sighs> the goat, uh, absolute goat. Yeah. Yeah.
3: You know, mm-hmm. Basically, every good director. <laughs> uh, who's ever you actually have to be a
1: fascist to be a successful director that's absolutely that's, true that's glenn's whole thing you know? i mean yeah. it's alfred hitchcock
2: alfred hitchcock yeah. said it and he got in trouble but like at the time but like he's right yeah. he's 1000 yeah. right it's not even it's not even close i mean it's basically being a football coach but like you know there's there's this there's this idea that um you know I just, it's like, I I understand Steinbeck wanting to be, he was like a communist in like a nationalist way for his, for where he was from. You know what I mean? It's like, that's all it was. Like for me, it's like, it was this idea of where it's like, okay, I'm watching my town get wrecked, pouring, pouring the quite like stuff that comes from this, this beautiful soil. We're just getting rid of it and stuff like that. He's like, I got to find something else to get to you know what i mean i got to find something else i again is that something else it's not always better oftentimes it's worse in that case but like even for me like i go through it here the tech boom the tech boom only could have happened in california because it's just out here, it makes you want to create things, right? Like, I, when I go on vacation elsewhere, maybe it's because I'm on vacation, but when I go out of state, I don't feel as creative. When I'm back here, I am ready to go. Like, I, I it just, it's, it's in the air, it's magical. And, but like the tech boom, right? I don't, I'm, I, we speak out against it all the time. I can't stand it. I mean, a lot of the stuff that's come out of here, the surveillance and all that stuff, it comes from not that far from my house, honestly. And, um, I'm not involved, but the, the, there's, that stuff could only happen here because the innovation happens here. Like if that makes any sense, it, it just, it just, it, I don't know. Like there's always, when you're here, you're always want to develop something new because of the stuff that's survived the times that's still there. And and you don't get it elsewhere. You know, like you, you don't get it elsewhere. You move. I mean, si, you moved to Portland. It's not better than California. It's not. No. No, it's not not better. better, Like you you got to get back. I mean, it's like for me and like Clint Eastwood, uh, Ben Brado, Clint Eastwood. And this is uh, this is a good way, I think, for us to to uh, close this out is that Clint Eastwood is not from the central coast. Clint Eastwood was born either in San Francisco or Oakland, but he's, he's actually born in the Bay Area. But his family was going back and forth. Down, um, was that I five that takes you to LA? Um, at the time, right? They're not flying back in Clint Eastwood's childhood. So he's constantly passing one thing all the time, right? Central Coast. He's, he's passing it. He's probably taking one, honestly, um, highway one, but he's constantly passing it. He's made that his final resting place, but he's still going, right? He's healthy. You know, you being in that, being in the Central Coast, especially makes me want to be healthy. I used to go visit Cy in, yeah. in, uh, moss landing i can say that yeah. right yeah i guess yeah, I can. yeah that place does not even part you know, of the Monterey, literally yeah, straight standard. up tortilla flat like it was just like yeah. you'd go there and like we would we'd we'd go there i would want to be healthier there i yeah. mean we'd, we'd do some you know psychedelics and you know fucking smoke some weed <laughs> you know stuff like yeah. that but you know i'd want to be healthier out there and um you know there, there would be uh um things like that clint eastwood john steinbeck and clint eastwood are, are interesting things John Steinbeck was a native, but always felt that he couldn't be successful here. Right. Materially successful. Like his books would not sell. He had many, many failed like cup of gold. Uh, They didn't sell that well. So he always wanted to find a way to get to New York. Right. He didn't want to go to New York, but his books would sell. If he was in New York, he would be in that that author circle that was out there. He died. His health went to shit when he was traveling the world. When he was leaving, he was doing all stuff. His health went to shit. Clint Eastwood moved to Carmel, became the mayor of Carmel and uh only for a couple years but he did that he, he he really got invested in that that beautiful city and it is a beautiful city um Carmel and he's still going he wants to make it to 150 and i hey He's doing a documentary. He's literally filming his own documentary right now, and he's 93 I think. Yeah, who are we like, to stop him? Yeah, who are we to stop him? Like, yeah. he's still upright. He's still going. Uh, he walks around eating boiled potatoes like popcorn. That's like what he eats all day. And um, you know, he he, there's something about that that makes you want to be healthy. You know, people move to like all these other states because it's warmer and stuff like that, but all they do, they move to Arizona, they move to Florida, and they just get pharma running through their planes. All, all they do yeah. is just get just IVs of pharma, and that they're kept alive for a while, but they're joints hurt and everything but clint eastwood found a way to be here and 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 you know what's funny one thing about clint eastwood i will say is clint eastwood when he was running for mayor he he had a thing called the hog's breath Inn, which was a restaurant um there one of his restaurants and then he wanted to have carmel had a thing where you could not have street vendors at all and he wanted an ice cream cart So where people could leave the hog's breath and then go to the ice cream cart. But Carmel had this like super fake and gay thing, like no sidewalk street vendors or whatever. Um, And so he fought like tooth and nail with the, with the city council there at the time. And he was not in political power. They turned down his idea like seven times. Like it was, it was, it was just crazy. They turned it down all these, all these times they made a big thing out of it. Clint Eastwood, when he became the mayor, mayor of Carmel, first thing he did fired all those council members, fired all of them just went in and cleaned house absolute absolute legend um the the place that that central coast it 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 breeds legends right and what's beautiful about steinbeck is you'll go there i went on main street salinas every single store whether it's a bookstore whether it's a record store whether it's just i don't know some some random store that's over there like a clothing store it'll have a steinbeck quote on the top he is the cultural export and it's it's so cool out of there like it's like it'll just say like there's always something to do in Salinas. Quote by John Steinbeck. Like it'll just be all over the door, Orwellian over the door. Like it's just like he he's watching you at all times. You go to a bookstore. There's his books are on the, on the mark in the first place right there. Like because they there's probably some shitty like uh, like Wednesday Adams looking like Salinas zoomer author. She doesn't get in the front of the bookstore. <laughs> I don't know. What it is maybe you know I don't know what it. Some like top chef like Jenna Ortega looking chick like like probably probably writes books in Salinas. she's not bigger than john steinbeck they don't move on from him so it's beautiful i, I sorry i don't know if anybody has anything to God, add that but I, yeah, yeah, yeah that's all, that. that's, that's really all i got that's yeah. all i
1: got um any any final thoughts guys any final well, thoughts i, I love what you brought up because i we like, like three months ago when we were planning this we were like we got to bring in clint and then i was yeah. i vaguely thought of it earlier today i was like i wonder if we're gonna talk about clint today oh i'm mean, gonna talk about but clint the, every day It's a day that ends in y yeah yeah but the stuff that ben was uh i wanted to mention earlier the stuff that ben was talking about about like kerosene oranges and shit i mean it's worth noting that we still do that exact same thing today there's like there's like a billion pounds of cheese in underground caves in in the united states to keep the price artificially high and they used to i think they they used like in the 70s they used to give people like you know free food and free cheese and stuff but now they're like nah fuck it it's cave time so it's like it's <laughs> kind of we've just even in good times we do that now you know it's just it's pretty horrible yeah it's like yeah, yeah. and you know if the, that's the thing is like if there is one thing that should be because you know there's the common the trope like the whole you know like the whole like kind of like tucker carlson has things that we, we socialize you know the the worst parts of society and we capitalize the the parts that should you know like i think food should be one of those kind of more more communal things i'm not saying it totally. shouldn't be a market local and communal
2: eat with the seasons yeah all yeah. types of stuff like that you're right yeah well
1: you know i think
3: we should we should just completely obliterate these uh like the usda marketing boards and all of this stuff that 100% that, you know i uh, i was uh i had looked into uh getting into uh, pharmaceuticals myself. Uh, Funny enough, this was about a a year or a year and a half ago. Uh, You know, there's this problem to where you can't get any real uh, pig thyroid hormone anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be armor made it. And this, you know, for people with thyroid problems, this stuff was like, this it's like when people talk about uh what coke was like in the 80s yeah or like sure preludes, like people who right. have hypothyroidism talking about how good the uh <laughs> the t3 and t4 used to hit back in the day yeah so i i looked into you know what it would be to um get get it licensed to manufacture and uh, because you know i know some some guys who are uh regenerative hog farmers and it's incredible just how much better quality their meat is like i won't eat pork from a grocery store but i'll eat their stuff uh and it's it's amazing it's like better than beef to me uh acorn bluff farms in iowa uh, is one of them terrific stuff and shipped nationwide but um yeah i looked into it and the usda prohibits it like you can't use the uh, like if you're going to butcher the animals for meat, like you basically can't use glands from them. Um, and to, you know if if you're you're going to do it, you have to get I think some kind of special use exemption and all this stuff. It's just it's bureaucratically impossible to just make like a natural medicinal product from you know organically, humanely grown you know animals. Um. And so, <laughs> therefore, like the only the only way this stuff gets made is in like um, China, using like <laughs> hogs from Chinese pig farms, <laughs> and then yeah. smuggling it into the black market. And, you know, this is the kind of stuff we're up against. Yeah, uh, and it's it's a problem of you know our regulations in, around agriculture are set up to benefit these huge corporations, and it's mm-hmm. been that way since the '30s yeah and you know the uh seeing the problems you know you, you kind of start thinking all right well like what do we need to do to like regulate this and and uh you know like what additional regulations do we need to fix this problem and uh know, yeah, i think a lot of this stuff uh could be solved by just obliterating a lot of the existing ones and then yeah. starting from scratch all over again
2: yeah anarchism gets a bad rap and rightfully so but there's a lot of things where the the definition of real anarchism really is when you see an institution that's outlived its purpose, you get rid of it. That's yeah. kind of that's kind of how it is at the, at this point. Yeah. And you know, like again, to sit to put together, we've talked about RFK and Steinbeck today. Um, both of those people you can can remind you of what what we had, and can also tell you how we lost it you know like those two people can whatever yep. rfk can say we had you know good medical freedom you know things like that we had clean water or, or whatever you know just and uh and and he can tell you all the ways that we lost it where john Steinbeck can talk about a beautiful community that existed but the minute they allowed some kind of outsider the minute that they tried to get beyond their borders as a community tried to expand maybe swallow up another city it all goes haywire Every single time. And um, I think we, you know, I think we just I think we just need to take that into uh, take that into mind as, as we move forward. You know, this brings to
3: mind a quick hot take. I think mm-hmm. uh, I think RFK juniors base arc began the moment he moved to California. Let's go. Where's the lie?
2: Yeah. Where's the yeah. lie? None of the other Kennedy, the Kennedy, the other <laughs> Kennedys were our mass holes, man. Yeah, when he got
3: that place in Los Angeles, that was the, uh, that was the beginning of his redemption arc, right?
2: There. Yeah. And he got, Not, he, yeah. he got long housed by Cheryl Hines. He stiff armed her like a Heisman, you know, just, just, Hey, like it's still, Hey, you're my wife, but don't ever take sides against, you know, what is that? What is the, uh, Fredo? You're my brother, but don't ever take sides against me, the family in public ever again or whatever. <laughs> kind of similar. I think he did that to Cheryl Hines. She doesn't say shit no more. So yeah. Yeah that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. So um, yeah, read Steinbeck and read them. Uh, it's, it's, it's great. If you're, if you're based, if you just became based and you're like, Oh, I won't read anything communist. <laughs> okay. You're lost. Yeah. You can be based. You won't be Californian. So if you want to get the closest thing, read, read Steinbeck.
3: I'll tell um, you, uh, I'll tell you if you have any, uh, if you have any qualms with that read East of Eden, because it's probably the best anti-communist book I've ever read
2: there you go right. and and i mean like i said man, it's i don't even see the communism i i had to be told that it was i don't <laughs> see it in the tap you know what i mean like it's like okay great like i it's sweet you know what i mean like i don't i doesn't it's not like you know like danny we need to seize the means of production you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, it's like, like any the capitalist pigs they were taking all our wine you know, like it doesn't, yeah, it's it doesn't not like a Zoomer,
1: right? Written, Netflix yeah, show it's or something. It's, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's
2: eloquent. It's elo- this guy had no confidence in his skill whatsoever, but he had that Irish sweets, you know, street sweeper work ethic. Like, that. I, that's kind of like how I am, where I'm like, I have like a little bit of like, am I good enough? Am I confident enough? No, but I'm gonna put my head down and work. Harder than somebody else. And that's what he did. I mean, he, he didn't publish his first real novel, like real true novel, didn't get a buyer for it till he was 30. And it bombed then. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a guy who, who put his head down and worked. And um, yeah. to be honest, like, I wouldn't have even known that because everything he writes is so beautiful. Yeah. Um so well, so I will say I, that. I
3: think another interesting you brought up uh with the Mexican accent made me think of you know, he, <laughs> he also happens to me re- all the time
1: with Glenn, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
3: he also really drew on uh on Mexico as this almost mythical neighbor to California that yeah. uh, that injected this like almost like a, an ancient spirit into into some of this stuff so when he gets into one of the stories in the Long Valley is about uh, is about a Mexican kid. He did another one called "The Pearl" about a Mexican dude who like finds this beautiful pearl. Oh
2: yeah, the, the Long Valley okay. one's so great when his dad, um, where he's like the kind of the man of the house, but he's kind of a fuck up, and then he goes off on his own again. The guy strays too far uh, and commits kind of like a murder at a bar. Yeah, that one's great. Yeah, um, and then also in Tortilla Flat, there's the Mexican general or like a soldier that brings his you know baby and the baby needs help and the baby just like dies. And it's like a really cold part of the book. You're like, fuck, this is fucked up. Yeah. And like that, there. but that guy doesn't feel real. He feels like the spirit that comes yeah. in and it's, um, you know, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right about that. So um, anyways, Ben, thanks. As always. Uh, I don't There's not enough Steinbeck content, at least from, from the people from anybody. I mean, nobody talks about him unless you go to Salinas, you go to Salinas. Mm-hmm. He's never left. He's still there. Um, you know, they talk about the ghost of Tom Joad, but it's the ghost of, uh, John Steinbeck is still there. The spirit of him engulfs the whole town, but outside of there, you just don't see that many people talking about him. Um, and we gave him his roses. So, uh, again, if you like, uh, fiction, uh, again, this episode is free. It's for all of you guys. Um, we've going to be up to like episode nine of gain of fiction on our paid feed. And there's also just a lot of great episodes on there, guys. It's $5 a month. Um, we hit you every week with a with a new episode. There, exclusive. Nobody else gets to have it except you, um, uh, and the rest of the paying customers. Uh, so go ahead and check that out. And um, Ben, uh, go ahead and plug that future article that you're writing.
3: Yeah, uh, it should be coming out this week on I am seventeen seventy six uh, interview with our featured.
2: Yep, follow him on Twitter. I graduated, Ben. You